That song we just sang, I would encourage you to turn to that in times of tribulation, in times of anxiety and fear and difficulty. The wording of that song encapsulates, grabs the gospel and applies it so well to our life and in what that means, how, how day by day God gives us measure, how moment by moment he gives us a measure of faith. He doesn't drop upon us this endowment of strength in which we never feel a trial or we never feel a storm. And I use that word storm in light of the text that we will turn to this morning. If you could turn to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. There was so much in this text that we are going to spend the entire day today on it. This morning we're going to look at the majority of it, verses 22 through 25a, and this evening we'll look at verse 25b. This morning what I want to focus on is on the the question of fear and faith. The question of when our faith meets a storm and the response of that faith as we see in the disciples themselves and Jesus' words to them. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we come before you in your word And we hear you speaking with your authoritative voice here, even in a narrative, in a story of what, Lord Jesus, you did on this earth, and of how you instructed your disciples in the faith, even in the midst of a storm and a trial. We pray, Father, that we would not only see our weak faith, but we would see the answer to our weak faith, and we would turn to you all the more. Fill us with the reading and preaching of your word. May it be true, may it be reverential and accurate according to what you have put here, that the interpretation would be right and applied to our hearts in the correct way. We ask this in your great name. Amen. Luke 8, beginning in verse 22. One day he, that is Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples And he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Thus sends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. People of God, we see in this text an amazing example of Jesus' power an amazing revelation of his identity. But we also see it in light of a disciple or the disciple's weakness. We see what happens when storms come and afflict faith. And Jesus obviously rightly knows that this storm comes and tests their faith and likely to the disciples' own minds, they wouldn't have thought this. 
They wouldn't have equated the two that, that the storm on this lake that they were very familiar with, the storm that arisen was actually a test of faith. And how are we to be instructed by God's word? How do we learn from this who Jesus is and his power and authority and his might and how we are as well to respond to the storms that come to the tests of faith. You see, this miracle is unique in Luke. We've only seen one other nature miracle so far in Luke, and that was in chapter 5 with Jesus and the fish when he told the disciples yet again in a boat to cast the net over, and they bring in this huge haul of fish. And in that way, he, he provided for his disciples. He showed power over nature. And then we could say in this way, it's almost elevated And what's added to it is a dimension now that the disciples' own life is in jeopardy. And in fact, in this miracle, their faith is tested in a way that they wouldn't have expected. On their home turf, where they were fishermen, those who did this every day or had been doing this every day. And isn't that so often what God does, tests us on our home turf? Tests us where we think we're strongest. And then bring a storm and and makes us see that we have no strength. No power to endure, no way to control this situation, this storm afflicts. And what will we do? What will the disciples do? And that's what we see in our first point. What's the storm? What's the storm? Or we could phrase it as the storm that tests faith. The setting is given briefly. The other Gospels contain this miracle and provide other information as well. Luke doesn't tell us this, but the other Gospels say that this took place at night. This took place after a long day of ministry, and Jesus says, let's cross the lake, the lake being the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to go to the other side. Seems pretty routine. And Jesus, exhausted from his ministry, exhausted from what he's doing, shows rather a human side to himself and falls asleep. He is so exhausted that he comes to the front of the boat, lays on the pillow, and is out. And as the disciples are going about their business, what was routine every day, it's easy for us to to get into the car and drive the same path we drive every day. They get into their boats and they sail across the lake. But the text says a windstorm comes down on the lake and they were filling with water. And in case we don't understand the way this works on a lake, when you have a boat and you're floating and starts filling with water, Luke makes it very clear they're in danger, the text says. They were in danger. You see, it's not as if they were overreacting. It's not as if there was some wind and some rain and there's this little bit of water and the splashing around the bottom of a boat and they overreact. No, they're in grave danger here. The the dangers of the sea are well known given the Sea of Galilee's topography. I'm going to have to read this, by the way. I can't remember all these facts. Given the Sea of Galilee's topography, such a storm could descend onto the sea quickly without notice and at night it could hardly be anticipated. The sea is some 700 feet below sea level and is depressed with hills surrounding it. The hills on the east side are particularly steep, so cool air rushing down the ravines and hills around the lake can collide with the warm air above the lake and create an instant storm in the confined quarters. There's the history of it. There's the facts of it. It occurs still to this day. The winds can descend and whip up this this lake, this sea. 
and they wouldn't have been able to tell. But it seems that this storm was a particularly deadly one. In fact, it's described by the Gospels as mighty winds, something like hurricane force winds. The text even describes it using the language of like an earthquake on water. Can you imagine that? That's what's happening. The other Gospels tell us that they weren't the only boat either. There are other boats going across with Jesus containing his followers. So it's not this isolated boat. There's this, let's say, small fleet that's caught in this storm. Plenty of witnesses to see what takes place. The storm is so great that these men who made their living on it are in panic. This storm is so great that they actually turn to a carpenter for help. They're at their wit's end, and they know they're perishing. Christ, what is he doing? He's sleeping in the boat. Not only a mark of his exhaustion, but also a mark of his peace. Why do I say that? The Psalms talk of the righteous one of the Lord being at peace, being asleep, being at rest. And I think the text is contrasting this clearly, trying to contrast the fact that the storm that would cause them to perish, Jesus is sleeping through. Jesus at no moment is undone. He's at no moment panicked. He's able to rest. He's not only so exhausted from what he's done, he's so at peace in his mission. And so you have the panic of the disciples contrasted with the peace of the Lord. You have their weak faith contrasted with the strength of their master, So they go to him, Jesus, at rest. And they come to him and they awake him and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. The doubling of that word, Master, Master, shows that it's it's severe, it's extreme, it's emphasizing their need. Mark records something else. The Gospel of Mark says that they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? All the Gospels record differing things that the disciples said to them as they sought to awake him. And so we see even in that, that master, master, we're perishing, and and what Jesus does in response, that they're quite panicked. That they're not coming to him calmly, that they're not coming to him and saying, Lord, the ship is ready to sink. Lord, we're in danger. Rather, it is an extreme fear. And so that's the situation, the storm's arisen, and their concern is that they will perish, and their greater concern is that does their master even care? And isn't that our concern as well? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he care what this situation has brought us into? Doesn't he care about the storm that's come upon me? It's no mistake that God's providential plan has brought them into this very storm. It's no surprise that Jesus said, let's cross the lake, and they come into this storm. God has brought this storm upon them. God's providential care and governance upholds everything, whether it be the winds, the storms, the sea, the waves. It's no mistake that they're there. Now the disciples think it's a mistake. The disciples think this isn't right. It's not according to the disciples' plan. They were just supposed to cross the water. They were supposed to have a calm sail in the night. They didn't ask for the storm to descend upon them, and it did. 
And it was primarily designed to not only reveal who Jesus is, but to do that through a test of their faith. Because God does test the faith of his people through storms. He tests the faith of his disciples through trials and tribulation, and it's not because he doesn't care, but it's because he does. And that's why Jesus is sleeping too. He doesn't immediately calm it. He lets the the disciples at their craft where they should be strongest expend themselves to the point where they realize they have no strength here anymore. They're past the point of their own sanity. They're past the point of their own peace. Right at the point where they can be tested and instructed. That's where God has placed them. It's easy to trust when the waters are calm. It's hard to trust when the waters are storms. It's easy to trust when the waves are peaceful. It's easy to trust when our lives are according to our plan and easygoing. But when the test of faith comes, this is when faith must act, and this is where it becomes very hard and very difficult. And that's not without the Lord's intent, even when it feels to us like a grand mistake. Have you been brought to such a place before or such a prayer before? I know for a fact that you have. Have you uttered the prayer, God, I'm struggling here. I'm dying here. I'm hurting so bad that I can't stand it. I'm anxious to the point of panic. I'm depressed and there's no way out. I'm in so much despair or pain that the thought of the next day makes me whimper. I have no strength left. And every thought of the future brings terror to my mind. Don't you care? Isn't that the nature of a storm that tests faith? It removes you from any semblance of control. The waves, the winds, the circumstances of life have taken hold, bringing us to think, Lord, I'm perishing, and don't you see? Master, Master, we're perishing. That's the test of faith. That's the storms that arise and test our faith. Now we see our next point, Jesus' response, and in the point of where's your faith? That question, where's your faith? Jesus responds, he awakes and he rebukes the wind and the raging waves and they cease and they were calm. I love this verse. I love it so much that we're not going to deal with it right now, but we're going to look at it tonight in a separate sermon and focus on that, the power of Jesus and what he displays there and how that affects the situation how that's instructive for the disciples even in their faith, and how that's instructive for us and the storms we face and our tests of faith. But this morning, I want to focus on the fear of it, the anxiety of it. I want to focus on Jesus' question, where is your faith? That that question just cuts straight to the heart, cuts straight to my heart, because I know I need to hear it, and I know so often that's the response that God gives to me. Where is your faith? It's weak. It's so weak at times. Where is your faith? 
What we need to see from this, that anxiety and fear are not just simply something that come and we endure, we just deal with them, we just expect it and accept it, meaning that we don't see that it's a problem. The fact that Jesus says this here means a lot to us. Why? Because if this were to arise on us, we would say, we didn't cause this storm, we didn't sin to cause this, we didn't do anything foolish for this to come upon us. It's all exterior. It was placed on our heads. The storm descended on us through no fault of our own. Of course we're going to be afraid. Luke even says they're in danger. They're in worldly danger. Their lives are at stake. Would they not fear? Would we not fear? That's just natural, we'll say. And, but, but that's not the way Jesus treats it. Where's your faith, he says. And that's an implied question. It's rhetorical. He, what he's saying is you should have stronger faith. And people of God, that hurts. Because it hits us right where we're at. Now what I don't mean by that, and what Jesus didn't mean by that question, was that it's not hard, was that it's not difficult, was not even that you won't have the feelings of panic and fear, but what he was saying is, where's your faith to stand firm and master that? How does faith respond to a life-threatening storm? And so there's this rebuke here. I'm going to quote from one commentator. He says it well. We see in these verses how needful it is for Christians to keep their faith ready for use. I really like that. How needful it is for Christians to keep their faith ready for use. We read that our Lord said to his disciples when the storm had ceased and their fears had subsided, where is your faith? Well, might he ask that question, where was the prophet of believing if they could not believe in the time of need? Where was the real value of faith unless they kept it in active exercise? Where was the benefit of trusting if they were to trust their master in sunshine only but not in storms? That rebuke finds its mark. It's me and my heart. Where was the benefit of trusting if I can only trust in the sunshine? and not in the tossing waves. The lesson is one of deep practical importance. To have true saving faith is one thing. What we see so often is true believers who have true saving faith who nevertheless have trials and struggles and so often find their faith sadly failing when something unexpected happens. And we've all experienced that because we're all sinners and we're all human because God takes all of us into his workshop. You see, the circumstances of our situations is what pulls the theology and what we know to be true away and finds it difficult to trust it. What's causing what we could call the disciples here their, their lack of faith? It's the wind and it's the waves. It's their circumstances. They feel the water striking their face. They see the water filling their boat. All their senses is telling them it's dangerous. They feel the panic. And people of God, we can't stop that. That's one of the hardest things. We can't stop the circumstances that come, and along with it, that, that fear that initially springs in us, but it's, it's what we do. 
It's what we do in response, whether we hear that this was an act of faith or where's your faith. The sense and feeling make us at times very poor theologians. It takes us what we know to be true in the sunshine. is where we're driving around in our car and we know that God's in control and it's easy to trust that. What's hard is when the accident happens and it's changed our life and it's crippled our bodies. Now there's a test of faith. Does God do that only because he doesn't care or likes afflicting pain on his people? Of course not. We need to know that he does this for our good. He does this for the disciples' good. Before they got in the boat, if Jesus asked, where's your faith, would that have meant anything to them? Well, we'll just supply a response. You know, we kind of know the nature of these men. We can think of something of bold, rash Peter. Where's my faith? It's here. It's strong. I'm ready. That would be how the disciples would have responded mere hours before. And yet when they're brought to that storm, now Jesus says, after they've shown their fear and and terror and anxiety, where's your faith? And the disciples see it's, it's lacking. And thus they see their need for God, their need for Christ. And that's what makes the storms worth it. That's why we wouldn't actually have it any other way, though it is extremely hard and extremely unpleasant. This is the way we need to see our life. Nothing happens in your life without a spiritual dimension. We like to think that because we didn't cause something, because we didn't cause the storm, our response isn't spiritual. Our response doesn't warrant a test of our faith. But it always does. We always respond as sinners. We always respond as spiritual beings. And how we respond shows whether we respond in faith or not. And so it doesn't matter what is afflicting you. It doesn't matter whether you caused it or whether someone else caused it or you had no control over it. God puts you in a place where your faith has to stand strong. You could be dealing with emotions and hormones and and thoughts and feelings that you have no control over in one sense. And you just want it done. And in fact, if God were to remove whatever's that issue, if he were to remove the cancer, or he were to remove the back pain, or he were to remove whatever storm it is, you would likely be okay. You would likely find it easy to trust. So we could say it is that problem that's causing it, but in the midst of the storm, do you respond in faith? When the sickness racks your body, when you are so depressed and deflated, how do you respond? Do you act on faith or not? We pray and we ask that the Lord delivers us from it. We pray for the removal of the storm. And he, he so often does remove them. But we need to be brought to them. But in what way was their faith weak? In what way is our faith weak? Does fear itself mean we have weak faith? Well, not exactly. Not exactly. The disciples' plea to Christ would have been an appropriate act of faith depending on how it was said. If they were to have gone over to him 
in a, a sort of, shall we say, confident trust, which doesn't mean they were unaffected by what they were doing, but they knew exactly what to do. And without an undue panic, without an undue response, they went over to Jesus and said, the boat is sinking, what would you have us do? And, and acted on faith, well, that shows that just because they had a fear, just because they had feelings, and this is the case in our life, just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean that we have no faith in response. But are we mastered by our feelings? Are we mastered by those fears? Or do we allow our faith and trust in the Lord to master them and control it? They are overwhelmed, in this case, with unreasonable fear. And how can I say that? I can say it because of how Jesus responds. For Jesus to respond and critique would show that they have an unreasonable fear. They don't think they will be safe. And that's what we ask ourselves. Is every kind of fear sinful and contrary to faith? Jesus doesn't just blame them simply because there is, there is this fear, that there is this uncertainty, but their alarm goes beyond proper bounds. You see, when confronted with frightening storms, weak faith loses courage, questions God, disturbs peace, and forgets the promises of God. Weak faith is when your faith is making no difference. Weak faith is when you respond as if the Lord wasn't in the boat. Because they're also missing his identity, and we'll see more of this tonight. But they're missing who's in their boat. And so their fear is especially displaced. Their fear is especially unwarranted for their, certain, their specific situation. Jesus is pointing out a response of dread, which instead of acting in faith, responds in that weakness. So is, is all fear opposed to faith, per se? No. If we wouldn't have any fear, if we didn't have fear at all, we would have no capacity to exercise faith. It wouldn't be a trial, and it wouldn't be a storm. If we didn't have the difficult feelings that come with it, if we didn't have the pain that afflicts us, well, we couldn't stand on faith. Facing that alone doesn't mean that it's weak faith, but Kelvin says this. I think it's a good explanation of what we're talking about. He says, Thus we see that fear which awakens faith is not in itself faulty till it goes beyond bounds. Its excess lies in disturbing or weakening the composure of faith which ought to rest on the word of God. But as it never happens that believers exercise such restraint on themselves as to keep their faith from being injured, their fear is almost always attended by sin. You know, to, to try to, to pinpoint where exactly does, does fear that's okay end and fear that's sinful begins is, is a bit beyond us because we are so sinful. Because accompanied with all, all our responses, even when they are good responses, is elements of sin, is elements of doubt, is elements of mistrust. So we ought to be aware that it's not every kind of fear which indicates a want of faith, but only that dread which disturbs the peace of the promises of God where we lose it. And we're not even seeking to hold on to it anymore. We're only seeking God to remove it. We forget his plan and his promises. Our fears almost always come with and produce sin in us, and that's the sad reality, but that's also how we, we fight them and work on them. 
The circumstances, the concerning, the chilling reality of what we go through, they all affect us. They, the disciples, lost sight of their confidence. We do that as well. And in every situation we face, in every storm we face, we also face the question to wonder again with the disciples about Jesus' identity and authority and wonder, is he truly this majestic king? Is he truly the God of all things? Can he do something in this place? That's what storms cause us to do, to wonder and question. You know, you're never going to see all of these things from the storm. When the boat's rocking around and all you're called to do then is cling to Jesus, you're not called to figure it out. Nor are we ever called to do that. We're never called to give an answer, why did God do this, and be able to, to, to perfectly say this is what he was doing. However, God in his grace, after the storms, so often reveals what he was doing through that. Not fully. We couldn't fully comprehend any of the acts of God and what he accomplishes in it, but we see it in certain ways. And, and God brings his saints to places in the calm after the storm where they will say, I wouldn't have changed it because I see what he did. But don't expect to see that in the storm, nor is that the expectation of God, quite frankly. What he expects us to do in the storm, in the boat when it's tossed around, is trust. Trust and endure. And when the feelings come, we accept it and say it's part of it. It's part of it, Lord, that, and this will make me perish if it weren't for you, but I trust in you. And this means as well, and we better get this, this truth too, the storm may kill you, and that doesn't change the truth of this. God won't always take the storm away. And in the disciples' case, the, the worst possible scenario, their worst possible outcome could have happened. And what we as Christians would say is we would hope that a strong faith went down with them in the boat and arose in heaven. Because that's the truth of it. Are Christians different? The boat is sinking is there a difference in reaction? Would we be able to say there's the people of faith and there are those who have none or weak faith? This is how God works. You see, he delivered Peter and James and John and them all from this storm. But church history would say that Peter was crucified upside down. Was he delivered from that? And the answer is yes, he was. He absolutely was, though that storm took his life. He received true, eternal life. This is what it means to humbly follow the Lord. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it does mean this is what he equips us to do. He doesn't leave us without that. He doesn't leave us without the one in the boat who's with us at all times. And, and again, we'll, we'll pull this back and reveal this more tonight, but I want to say this in part now. The disciples were wondering in the storm, does Jesus care? What a terrible question. Of course Jesus cares. He's in their boat, which means he's on this earth. He came to live to die. 
He came to endure hell. He came to suffer. Does he care for us? Certainly he does. He cares actually so much for us that he won't thwart every storm that can come. And if he were to do that, how weak would our faith be? If we never had to act on it. If we never had to have faith in reserve. And the way he does that is he brings us to the point where we are so past our ability to endure, he can begin to work on us. We are so past an answer to where's your faith, it's strong, Lord, to to say where's your faith, it's weak, Lord. And that's, that's one of the best places for a true saint to be because when they come to that place, you better believe the Lord strengthens and equips. But you also better understand that that saint won't feel strong, though they are. When we are in that place, we seem we're, we are hanging over a cliff, and if the wind were to just lightly blow, we'll fall over. That's the way we feel. We, we feel so on a precipice that we can't hold on anymore, and that's exactly the point, because it's not how strongly we can hold on, it's how strongly the Lord holds on to us. That's what faith is. It's an abandonment of our strength. You see, what the got the disciples in trouble and what gets us into trouble is our arms can't fix it. We can't bail out enough water to take us away. We can't stop the wind that's pushing us around. Our strength fails, and where are we left? It's only faith, an abandonment of our strength, and a complete and total reliance on Jesus Christ. So often we turn to to other things. We face storms and we want a way out. And if we can't actually change the circumstance, we we turn to other things. We turn to alcohol or drugs or sex or or eating or medications, over-medicating us. There's a place for medication, certainly, but it's true that our society turns to that right away. And and it's overused and, and, and is that needed. And we turn to these things and we just seek to erase the trial rather than coming into the trial and saying, Lord, what are you working through this? How do I draw near to to you through this? How do I cling to faith? This takes away our pride, you see. It ought to lower our our self-conceit, our hubris, how proud we are and inflated to ourselves that we think we are and rather see that this is where God brings so many. This is where he brought the great Apostle Apostle Peter and James and John. And there are other examples in God's word. The, The great prophet Elijah, who after doing miraculous things, fled in fear and despair from the threat of a queen, and Moses, who, who accomplished so much through the mighty hand of God, even through his own hand, and yet despaired of his life. All of us are brought to that, and we better expect it, but this is how we're instructed. When confronted with frightening storms, weak faith loses courage. It questions God. It disturbs peace. It forgets the promises of God. Now, I recognize that as I say that, there are likely many here who say, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm doing. Now, I want to I give a, a twofold response to that. First, good. 
because you're likely seeing how weak your faith is. So good. But also, don't be undone by that. Don't be undone by that because God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't abandon us. He actually uses that. And so at those moments, remember the saints of the past who did exactly the same thing and see where God brought them and trust and respond in faith. What's the answer then? What's the answer when confronted with the storms of life and fear? It's what we're going to look at this evening. It's this answer. Strong faith comes from fearing the Lord of the storm more than the storm itself. Strong faith comes from fearing the Lord of the storm more than the storm itself. We'll pick up on that this evening, but for now, let's bow in prayer. Great God and Father in heaven, we see this text, and it is instructive for us. It, it pulls back so much, even as we see the, our forefathers of the faith respond in a certain way, and we see what Jesus has done in response. And we pray, Father, that we would see the weakness of our faith when we don't respond as we should. When in the storm you are able to, to work on us, you are able to peel back from our eyes the blinders, and we are able to see how much we need you, we are able to grow, and this is exactly what we would pray would happen. But we also pray, Lord, be with us. We don't come before you and say, do you care? Even when our hearts at times bring us to that, that request, that, that speech, we pray you would lead us past that question to the knowledge that we know you do care. That we'd be able to see the promises of God, that we'd be able to trust. And, and in response to this text, that we or people would be those who have strong faith in the midst of the storms. We pray this in your great, mighty name. Amen.